You are listening to the Impact Church Podcast. To learn more about Impact Church, visit us online at impactharlem.org. You can also check us out on social media. Amen, amen. Y'all excited to be here? Yeah, man, we are here to do what we always do, and that is to worship King Jesus. Amen? Man, we're, we're a church full of imperfect people engaging a perfect, holy God. We're a church of imperfect people taking steps of faith together so that we can make a kingdom impact. Not an impact church impact, not a Pastor Dustin impact, but an impact for the kingdom of God. That is why we do what we do. And praise God that we have seen life change take place over the last three and a half years here at Impact Church. We're going to celebrate some of that life change today by baptizing seven people this morning who have said yes to Jesus. We ended a series last week through the book of Colossians, and we're starting a brand new series this week through the book of Ruth. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Ruth chapter 1. That's where we'll be this morning. And what we're going to look at is the sovereignty of God. Now, some of you, when you hear that, you know exactly what that means. You've been around church. You understand the sovereignty of God. Some of you are like, I don't really get it. Some of you, maybe you're sitting there thinking, well, I I understand the sovereignty of God. I just don't understand the sovereignty of God. And man, the sovereignty of God is, is something that as a pastor and as someone who is, who is constantly just studying Scripture, man, it gives me just a, a sense of freedom to know that He is over all things. And we did the series in Colossians first so that we could see that He is before all things, in all things, and above all things. And then we jump to the book of Ruth and we see how the sovereignty of God really plays out in this human world, in the history of all things. We see how He takes this nobody little girl and He uses her and her pain and her struggle and her faith and everything else in between to change the world. And some of us, we come to church every single week and we, and we sit here and, and maybe we raise hands to some songs, especially like Build My Life because we do that one a lot so we know those words so it's really easy to raise your hand. We don't raise our hands if we don't know the words, right? So we raise our hands, we listen to the message, we think we get something really good, but we don't really believe that God can use us to change the world. If I was to have a conversation with each and every one of you and ask you this question, do you think you can change the world? Most people would say, no, like I can't change the world. And that is the truth that in and of yourselves, you cannot change the world. But when God shows up and in His sovereignty and in His power and in His might and His holiness and all the attributes that He possesses, He can use you to change the world. Man, and I want you to believe that. I want you to to walk around not boastful of yourself, but boastful of, of who He is. 
We don't boast in, in our dirtiness and our sinfulness and our struggle. No, we boast in the fact that God sent Jesus on a rescue mission to save us from an eternity separated from Him in a real place called hell. And we celebrate the fact that He is sovereign. But all that sounds really good, but what does it mean for Him to be sovereign? Maybe some of you, you're dealing with some pain and some struggle right now, and you're thinking, if God is so powerful, if He's so loving, if He's so big, then I wouldn't have to go through this pain. I wouldn't have to go through this struggle. And I could give you a theological answer of why bad things happen, but you know what theological answers don't do? They don't make your heart feel better. So you still hurt. So you still go through the pain. So you still go through the struggle. The truth is bad things happen because of sin. The theological answer is that Adam and Eve were living this great life, man. They were skipping around naked, eating fruit, right? That's what they were doing. And then sin enters the world and things go haywire. And ever since then, things have been cursed. Things don't listen. Things don't obey. Not just humans, but nature in general. Bad things happen and it's all a result of sin. Sometimes it's our sin. Sometimes it's just the sin of humanity. That is the theological correct answer, and that does nothing to make your heart feel better. That does nothing to make the pain go away. That does nothing to make the struggle any less. So what I want us to see this morning is, is how we can respond to the sovereignty of God and, and hopefully, hopefully be filled with the peace that transcends all understanding. That as Christ followers, we have some supernatural peace that God wants us to walk in and to live in. And when it hurts, and when the pain's real, and when the struggle's deep, and when we don't understand the temporary circumstances, we can trust in and believe in the sovereignty of God. And know that there's an eternal plan at work. And there's nothing more freeing to me than to know that I can't control things. The problem is we really want to. We really like to control things. And controlling things, man, all it does is lead to craziness. Like, I don't know if you've ever looked at some things that you control. Like, look at your budget, right? Some of you are like, man, my budget's good. Great. Some of you are like, yeah, my budget's crazy. Yeah, because we, we can't control things very well. We can get to a certain point, and then we are lost. So thank God for His sovereignty in all things. May is also Mental Health Awareness Month, and I want to touch on this just for a minute because historically the church has done a horrible job when it comes to, to mental health. And I want you to know that if you, if you struggle with, with some type of, of mental health, I want to encourage you that you're, you're not the only one. And I want to encourage you to talk to someone about that. And it's okay that you're not okay all the time. Because none of us are okay all the time. Three things that I want you to know if you are dealing with this is it's not a sin to be sick. Your chemistry is not your character and your illness is not your identity. 
that God is sovereign even above those things. That as a believer and a follower of Jesus, then you are His. And you take on the identity of Him. And I want you to be encouraged by the fact that He is sovereign over those things. We'll be in Ruth chapter 1, starting in verse 1. There's a lot of Scripture today, but I want to I want to provide context for this book because as we go through this over the next five weeks, we're going to see how God works through pain, how He works through our plans, how He works through um, provision, how He works through all things that we, we may think it's us, but it's all Him. I'm going to say that again. We think it's us, but it's all Him. Like He is sovereign over all things. And by the end of this series, man, I want us to walk out of this place this, the last Sunday of this series to walk out and know that we ain't, we ain't all that. Like, we may think we are, but we're not. That He is who He is. And it's because of Him that we are anything at all. And that is the declaration that we will make in this place, is that He is sovereign over all things. Verse 1 in chapter 1 says, In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land, and a man of Bethlehem and Judah went to sojourn in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. And you may think, what's so bad about this? I'm going to tell you what's so bad about this. First of all, this is when, it says, in the days when the judges ruled, if you go back to the book of Judges, this is a time where the people of God continuously went away from God. Continuously. They did what they wanted to do. They said, yeah, God, that's cool, but I want to do this. So a judge would, would come to power, they would rule, they would say, hey, this is what God says, you need to come back. They would come back. Uh, some years later, they would fall away from God again. It kind of sounds like us. This is what's happening. And then there's a famine in the land. So they're hungry. And this guy, he goes and he takes his family, his wife and his two sons, to Moab. And the problem with this is, in Leviticus and Deuteronomy, God specifically says, don't go to Moab. Like, specifically says, don't go there, it's a bad place. They're sacrificing kids, they're worshiping false gods, there's, there's a ton of sexual perversion. I don't want you to go there. And then we have this, this husband and this father, he's like, hey, well, we're going to die here, there's a famine in the land, so I'm going to protect and provide for my family, and we're going to go to Moab. So he allowed these temporary circumstances to affect the decision that he made, even though God had said not to do this. I want you to think about this, because there's a lot of times we allow temporary circumstances to make us do some things that God has told us not to do. Or we allow temporary struggle to make us do things that God hasn't told us to do. When's the last time, how many of you have moved somewhere in the last year? Just raise your hand. All right, cool. There's a lot of people that, that are moving. That's just, that's just the world we live in. There's some people moving right now. There's people probably packing up at this minute, moving somewhere out of Harlem or into Harlem. It just happened. But here's my question. Did you pray before you moved? Because this is what happens. A lot of times, we just say, hey, we really like the house. We like that neighborhood. We like that school system. My kids are going to do well there. And we never consult with the sovereign God to see if that's where he wants us to be. 
We think that, okay, well, let's control this part and God will bless. And this guy is saying, hey, my family may die here. And I know God told me not to go to Moab, but we're going anyway. Because we focus on the temporary circumstance instead of God's sovereignty. And the sovereignty of God is something that it's really hard for us to grasp. But once we get it, man, it changes the way that we make decisions. It changes what we do. And you may think, well, moving's not that big a deal, man. Like, I don't really need to pray about it. And this is what I would say, that God is a God on a macro level, but He's also the God of the micro. And that He, he cares about the details of your life. And if you allow Him to line things up, I'm telling you, He can line them up way better than you. I've been there. I've done that. Verse 2, the name of the man was Elimelech, and the name of his wife, Naomi. So this guy, his, his name really means God is king. And the name of his wife, Naomi, which means sweet. And the names of his two sons were Malon and Chilion. I'm going to say Chilion because I think it sounds cooler. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem and Judah. They went into the country of Moab and remained there. But Elimelech, the husband of Naomi, died and she was left with her two sons. These, the sons, took Moabite wives. The name of the one was Orpah, which means stiff. So we'll call her stiff neck. And the name of the other, Ruth, which is really hard to translate Ruth because in the original Hebrew, there, there were no vowels, so it's all consonants, but it's the same con uh, consonants used in the word ruah. So the best way to translate her name is, is breath. So we'll call her a breath of fresh air. So we had a stiff neck and a breath of fresh air. And some of you right now, ladies, I'm talking to you, you're thinking, yeah, I'm the breath of fresh air. My sister-in-law, she's a stiff neck, and your sister-in-law is thinking the same thing about you. So I just want you to know that. <clears throat> they lived there about 10 years. Verse 5, and both Malon and Chillin died. So that the woman was left without her two sons and her husband. So Elimelech goes to Moab to do what? To not die, and he dies. And then Naomi is, is a widow. And then within the span of ten years, she loses both sons. She has now lost her husband and two kids. She's done three funerals in the span of ten years. And I can't imagine the pain that she's feeling. I can't imagine the struggle that she's facing. There's a lot going on in just these four verses. The two sons married Moabite women, which again, God said, don't do this. And it has nothing to do with they were different races, right? It's 2023. I want you to know something. That the Bible doesn't say that, that interracial marriage is wrong. It's not a sin. There's nothing wrong with it. We are one race under God. What the, the issue here was that there was an interfaith marriage. That there was some unequally yoking going on. That there was one believer and one unbeliever. And God's really clear about that because what happens is you're going two different directions and eventually you will be torn apart. 
So, man, I, I want you to see that there's a lot going on here. Both sons have died. There's three funerals. There's immense pain. There's immense suffering. And here's my question. Have you been there? Have you been in that place in your life where there's immense pain and immense suffering and immense struggle and you just say, what is happening? Why is this happening? Think about this, that Naomi is literally following her husband. That he is leading her into this land that God said don't go into. That she's a mother taking care of her sons. That she's, just, she's being the wife and the mother that she believes God has called her to be. She's following the leadership of her husband. She's trying to, to prepare her sons. And then all of a sudden, within 10 years, they're all gone. And I can imagine the questions like, what, what's going on? Why is this happening? Have you ever asked, God, why is this happening? And I want you to know that it's okay to ask why. We see in Psalm 22, before Jesus quotes it on the cross, that David writes, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And that's right in front of Psalm 23, and I think it's so you, you read 22 and then you jump to 23 and it says, God is all I need. Like, He is everything. And then Jesus on the cross quotes Psalm 22 and says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And if anybody ever tells you that it's not okay to ask why, they just don't know the Bible. It's okay to say why. Now here's the hard part is he doesn't usually give us an answer. Like we're like, God, why is this happening? And sometimes in his grace, he allows us to, to see the plan and the purpose unfold in our lifetime. But often we don't really get to see the purpose and the plan behind the pain and the struggle. And then, that's where the rubber meets the road. Is the grace of God enough for you? And all the pain and all the struggle with all the questions and all the doubts, is the grace of God sufficient for you? The answer is yes, it is sufficient. But are you living in that in your life? Verse 6. Then she arose with her daughters-in-law to return from the country of Moab. For she had heard in the fields of Moab that the Lord had visited his people and given them food. So she's, she somehow understands in the midst of all this pain that she needs to go back to God. That God is where the, the rest is. That God is where the peace is. That God is it. So she realizes, hey, we need to go back. So she set out from the place where she was with her two daughters-in-law, and they went on the way to return to the land of Judah. But Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go, return each of you to her mother's house. May the Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. The Lord grant that you may find rest, each of you, in the house of her husband. Then she kissed them, and they lifted up their voices and wept. So what she's telling them is, if 
if this happened, so if a, if a husband died, then a brother would take on that wife to just keep providing and protecting for her. And she's saying, I have no kids. Like, they're both dead. So go back to your land, find a husband, and be taken care of. So here we have Naomi saying, I know that I need to run to God. And then we have Naomi saying, hey, go back to the land God told us not to go to and be provided. So she's somewhere in the middle in this pain of, I know God's enough, but there's a lot of stuff going on and I don't really know what to do. Have you been there? Where I know God's enough, but I don't really know what to do. I know God is sovereign, but I don't really know what to do. And we're just going all over the place. One of the issues with, with the American church historically over the last hundred years or so is that you're, you have to, church growth consultants have said that Christians have to be the most awesome people in the world. And the problem is that's not reality. The problem is we've learned phrases to use. How are you doing? I'm, I'm favored and highly blessed or blessed and highly favored or whatever the saying goes. I'm too blessed to be stressed. God is good all the time, and all the time God is good. And that's cool, but you ain't good. Like, God is good, but you're not. So let's just be authentic. And I thank Naomi because she's, she's just living in the middle of this pain, and she's just so real with it that sometimes she wants to run to God, other times she has no clue what to do, and she's not saying it's all okay. She's just taking it day by day. Trying to, to allow the sovereignty of God to do something that she has no clue how to do on her own. And they said to her, no, we will return with you to your people. But Naomi said, turn back, my daughters. Why will you go with me? And this is where she, she just gets really practical. Have I yet sons in my womb that they may become your husbands? Turn back, my daughters. Go your way, for I am too old to have a husband. If I should say I have hope, even if I should have a husband this night and should bear sons, would you therefore wait till they were grown? Would you therefore refrain from marrying? No, my daughters, for it is exceedingly bitter to me for your sake that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. Then they lifted up their voices and wept again. And Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. So this is what she's saying. Even if I go back and I swipe right and we match, like everything's good, and we get married the same day, the, the honeymoon goes great. I get pregnant. Are you really going to wait until they get old enough? Just go back and be taken care of. And then she says, it's bitter to me for your sake that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. She realizes, even in the pain, that somehow God is sovereign and everything passes through His hand. And for some of us, that's freeing. And for others, it just doesn't make sense, and we're not okay with that. Why would a God who is so big and so good and so loving allow bad things to pass through His hand? And again, I can give you the theological answer, and it's, it's sin just entering the world, and everything is just haywire. And Jesus came on a rescue mission for humanity to reconcile us back to Himself, and there will be a time where everything obeys Him where He is ruler over all. And she said, this is Naomi, see your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. She's talking to Ruth. 
She's saying, hey, Orpah's gone. And here's the deal. She is gone. We don't hear anything else about her. She goes back to her gods, her land. She probably gets married, whatever. We hear nothing else about Orpah. She's gone. That's just is it. And Ruth, if I've done your wedding, I don't think I've done any weddings of anybody in here. Don't ask me. I don't like them. But I do read this at some weddings. This is Ruth's declaration in verse 16. But Ruth said, Do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you. Listen to this. For where you go, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people and your God, my God. This is the conversion moment for Ruth. Where you die, I will die. And there will I be buried. May the Lord do so to me and more also, if anything, but death parts me from you. And mother-in-laws, this is my advice for you, verse 18. And when Naomi saw that she was determined to go with her, she said no more. Sometimes it's just best just to stop. Just don't argue anymore. Here's the declaration. I think we see four things from this declaration. Number one is this. Ruth said yes to God. There was a moment where she said, I want your God. And we see that Lord is capitalized when she says this. She is saying, I, I want Yahweh. I want your God to be my God. I know that somehow through all this pain, you're still standing. There's something going on with you, and I want that. That's the God that I want. And we see the conversion of Ruth. She says, man, that's, that's the God I want. All these other gods, they ain't working. Man, I want your God. I want the God of heaven. I want Yahweh. This is the conversion moment for her. Somehow, it is in Naomi's walk through this pain that she sees what Paul is talking about in the letter to the church of Philippi where he says, we will receive a peace that transcends all understanding. And that the grace of God will fill our hearts. She, she sees this somehow. She's watching her mother-in-law. And again, she's not falling into two extremes here. One extreme is there's no hope. There's no help. Everything is, is over. Life, just I don't even want life to exist anymore. That's one extreme. The other extreme is just the churchiness that is so fake that it doesn't help anybody. She falls in the middle of, man, God is real. He is sovereign, but I have no clue what's going on and I don't know what to do. Authenticity matters. The second thing we see is that Ruth shows incredible faith. See, she's going back to a land where they, they hate the Moabites. You talk about racism, this was... This was her entering a world of racism. This was her entering a world where they did not like her. They thought she was the scum of the earth. Everything for her from this point forward would not be good. But what she's saying, what she's saying here is that life with God in a place where I'm mistreated is better than life without God in a place where everything is okay. That it's better to have God and be put to death than to not have Him and to live this life out however we want to live 
this life. She shows incredible faith. Number three is God promises you aren't alone. She's telling her mother-in-law, in this moment of pain, I'm going with you. You don't have to do this by yourself. In the Great Commission, at the end, Jesus says, and I will be with you. And I think he means two things here. One is that as a, as a believer, the Holy Spirit is deposited into us. So he's not just like with us, he's in us. And I think uh, the second thing he means is that when we gather with other believers, he's in all of us. So community matters. That we don't have to do it by ourselves. That when we go through the pain, the devil wants you to be isolated. We talked about this a few weeks ago that the enemy is he's prowling around looking for who he can devour. And here's the deal. He always goes for the one that's isolated. And what happens is when we begin to go through this pain and this struggle and this hurt, we begin to isolate ourselves away from the people of God. We begin to isolate ourselves away from everybody else and the, the enemy's like, oh, there's the one. They're by themselves. I can go get them. And again, historically, the church has done really bad because if there's, if there's hurts and habits and hang-ups and struggles, the church says, hey, get away from us. We don't want you here. And at, at Impact Church, we're a church of imperfect people. And we say, hey, you have struggles, you have hurts, you have habits, you have hang-ups. Perfect. Come join us. Get in the middle of our circle because we want to protect you. We don't want you to be isolated. And for some of you who have it all together and you're not do, you're going through any of that stuff, congratulations, we need you too because we need you on the outside protecting. Nobody gets a pass to do nothing in the kingdom of God. Once we're rescued, we join the rescue team and we begin to do what God has called us to do. You don't have to face this alone. And the fourth thing we see is that God can use pain and struggle to change the world. He takes the bad leadership of this guy. He takes three pained, struggling widows, forbidden friendships, and through all this mess, the sovereignty of God, he saves the whole world. Spoiler alert, Ruth is the great, 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 great grandmother of Jesus. So he takes all this pain and struggle and sin and chaos and in his sovereignty he somehow puts it all together and saves humanity that's the sovereignty of God sometimes we suffer pain because of us sometimes it's our sin man there's people that come to me and and say the devil is all over me and they tell me their story I'm like nah bro that ain't the devil you just being dumb like that's you you're doing it to yourself the devil's working on other people right now. Sometimes it's because of us that we suffer. Sometimes it is because of the enemy. But it's always, always under the sovereign hand of God. And God is always good. He always has a purpose. And He always has a promise. And His purpose is for Him to be glorified. And His promise is that one day there will be no more pain. There will be no more struggle. There will be no more hurt. There will be a place where 
there's no more tears. There's no more struggle. It's a brand new, glorified place for all eternity with Him. He's always good. Always has a purpose. Always has a promise. We're going to close with this because all that sounds really good, but there's still how do we how do we deal with it? How do we how do we handle the pain? And here's the here's the deal. Second Corinthians, Paul writes this. Chapter 4, verse 16 says, So we do not lose heart. It says, Don't lose heart. All the stuff that you're going through, don't lose heart. And you're like, Well, how? Paul, and this is he answers that question for you. It says, though our outer self is wasting away, he means we're getting older. This is what he means, is that when I used to watch football and somebody would just light somebody up, I'd be like, yeah, man, that was awesome. And now when I see somebody hit somebody pretty hard, I'm like, oh, man, I bet that hurts. Like, that's the difference. We're wasting away. We're getting older. He says that our inner self is being renewed day by day. There's some, in, there's some internal stuff happening, and with the Holy Spirit, we're being renewed day by day by day. He says, so don't lose heart. Don't lose heart because you're being renewed. And then he says this in verse 17. For this slight momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. And you say, well, how can Naomi just lost her husband, both kids. She is in a place where it's just not a godly place. It's a bad place. What? How can this be light? How can this affliction be light and momentary? And it's only light and momentary in the comparison to what He's preparing for us in glory. And we saw in the book of Colossians that that's why Paul says, hey, don't set your minds on the things of this world, but set your minds on things above. That these temporary things of this world, they will do nothing for you. They will not fully and finally satisfy you that only Jesus can do that. So set your mind on things because He is He is using the pain and the struggle and the affliction to prepare us for an eternity with Him. That is so, so, so amazing. That, that there's a glory that we can't even comprehend. Verse 18 says, as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. But the things that are seen are transient, they're going away, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Do not allow these temporary circumstances to cause you to do things that, that aren't of God, that cause you to do things that, that, that send you away from His presence, that cause you to do things that hinder your relationship with Him. Because we have, to, we have to set our minds on things that are eternal, things that are unseen. And man, I'm not telling you that going through this is going to be easy. I'm not telling you that when you deal with pain, it's going to be simple. I'm not telling you that you're going to be happy all the time. I'm telling you that He has a promise that He's using the pain to do something greater that we can't see. That there's purpose in the pain. 
Romans 15, 13 says, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. The NIV says it this way, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in Him, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Here's the, here's the answer to dealing with pain. You can't. It's the power of the Holy Spirit. And because of the peace and the joy that is deposited in us, it overflows out of us as believers. And guess what happens? The world sees, man, look at what they're going through. Look at the pain and the the struggle and the hurt. But somehow they're still standing. Somehow they're, they're still living. Somehow they're still praising this God. And it is a testament of, of the gospel of Jesus. And a world who is hurting and broken, this world sees it. And they say, man, I want that. I want Yahweh. I want that God to be my God. And we see people brought to the kingdom because we allow the Holy Spirit to work through our pain and through our struggle. Maybe you're sitting here and you have a diagnosis of some kind Maybe it's cancer. Maybe it's, it's just something inside. Maybe, maybe you received a call that, that your kid is sick. Maybe there's a lot of different things that we go through. And you say, why? Why is this happening? And I don't have all the answers for you. This is the answer I have, is that God is a sovereign God. And I know that He works all things for the good of those who love Him and are called according to His purpose. That He's working even when we don't see it. That He's working even when we don't feel like He's doing anything. That He is sovereign and His plan is greater than our plan. But I know this, He's always good. He always has a purpose and He always has a promise. The purpose is to bring Him glory and the promise is that one day, one day, all of the pain and all of the hurt and all of the struggle will go away. Let's stand together as we respond this morning. We're going to respond like we always respond. We're going to sing because He's worthy of our praise. We're going to pray because some of us need to pray through the pain and the struggle. Some of us have isolated ourselves and we need to pray that we can find that community and and jump in the middle. Whatever it is for you, be obedient to the Spirit in this place. We're going to respond to the Gospel because the Gospel deserves a response. And for some of you, maybe you've never said yes to Jesus. Maybe you're in this place today and you've never said yes to Jesus. That you know about God. You know that He sent Jesus to die on the cross. You know you're a sinner. You've just never made the decision to truly follow after Him. And maybe today is the day of salvation for you. Maybe that's the prayer you need to say today. Thank you for joining us at the Impact Church Podcast. For this and other messages, visit us online at impactharlem.org. In the meantime, you can subscribe to this podcast, rate and review it on iTunes, and share it with your friends on social media. Once again, thanks for joining us at the Impact Church Podcast.